Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. Quick announcement before I forget. I'm going to tell you at the end, but I might forget at the end because by the time the sermon's over, I can't even think straight. When this is done today, I need you guys to exit all out this way. Just for this week and next week, uh, the theater has added a 1230 showing of Oppenheimer. And apparently it's like insanely popular. People are showing up two hours early to see this film. Why? I don't know. Okay, apparently this is the only place in the world that's showing it on 70 millimeter film, and that's a big deal. So anyway, that's that. I'll wait till it comes on Netflix. So we are here today, <laughs> and we are wrapping up this series that we're calling Extraordinary. And we've been looking at the life of Peter, um, this guy who started off life as an ordinary fisherman. And through the power of God, and we're going to look at this today, he became an extraordinary disciple. And each week, we've kind of looked at a pivotal moment in his life to find out what happened, what did he go through, and really, most importantly, what can we learn to apply into our own journey. Last week, if you were with us, we took a look at Peter's lowest moment. We looked at the night that he denied knowing Jesus three times. Um, it was not a good scene. It really was an awful sort of moment of personal failure. And we kind of took a look at what it looks like for us to deal with personal failures in our own life. And thankfully, through the grace and mercy of Jesus, Jesus not only forgave Peter, but he restored him. What I want to do today is I want to fast forward 50 days after that denial to show you Peter's greatest victory. Now, don't miss that. I mean, that's a big deal. In a span of 50 days, he went from the lowest point in his life to the highest point. And, and the question really is, well, what happened? What changed? What, what caused this massive transformation in Peter's life? And the answer is actually simple. The answer is the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is what finally transformed him from an ordinary fisherman into an extraordinary disciple. And that same power is made available to every single Christian. So today I want to show you when this Holy Spirit arrives on the scene. Then I want to talk to you about three ways the Holy Spirit moves in the life of a Christian. And then we're going to wrap up by taking a look at how this new Holy Spirit empowered Peter to do something that he never imagined that he could do. So let me set the scene for us. Jesus died on the cross. Uh, he was then resurrected. And for 40 days, he was showing up to people and, and just proving that he was, in fact, still alive. Well, one day he was with the disciples. I think they were eating, actually. And he says this to them, and it's down again. <laughs> I got to tell you, folks, I'm not going to make it through this series. Everything's always breaking on me, but here we go. <laughs> so he says to them, stand by. He says, do not leave Jerusalem. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. So Jesus is referring to this gift, okay? Apparently, he's spoken to his disciples about it before. So what is this gift? Five weeks earlier, on the last night of his life, at that last supper, he said to his disciples this, I tell you the truth, it is better for you that I go away. Now think about that. What could be better than having Jesus Christ alongside you? And yet Jesus says, it is better for you that I go away. If I do not go, the helper, pull that for us, the helper, can we get, do we have it here now? Uh, slide seven. Here it is. All right, fine. Helper, I come. Who is the helper? The helper is the Holy Spirit. The Father will send him. 
in my place. So Jesus says, don't leave Jerusalem. God's going to send this gift. What is the gift? The gift is the Holy Spirit. Now notice here that Jesus refers to the helper as a him. That's a big deal. This is important. Often as Christians, we tend to think about the Holy Spirit as a force, as like, a, as like an it, okay? But Jesus here is letting us know the Holy Spirit's pronoun. Okay? It's like he's a he and him, all right? He's a person with emotion and will and knowledge. The Holy Spirit is God. So Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You'll be baptized. In other words, you will be immersed in the Holy Spirit. You will overflow with the Holy Spirit. Jesus continues. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Now, this word power in the original Greek is the word dunamis. Dunamis. Does that sound like anything to you? It's where we get our word dynamite. So, it's like, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you will receive kind of the explosive power of God. And when you do, Jesus says, you will tell about me in the city of Jerusalem and, all, and over all the countries of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, remember, he is in a room right now speaking to the disciples. Okay? Peter is hearing this. And I've got to imagine he's thinking, wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this? I mean, five weeks ago, I denied knowing you when a little girl confronted me, and now you're saying I'm going to go and preach all over the world effectively? But Jesus is clear. When the Holy Spirit is in your life, it can empower ordinary people to do extraordinary things. So Jesus says, wait, don't go anywhere. Stay until the Holy Spirit gets here. So it's a waiting game now. Ten days later. Acts 2.1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. So what is Pentecost? Pentecost was a Jewish uh, harvest festival almost. It literally translates into 50 days, meaning it takes place 50 days after Passover. Just to connect the dots for you, the Last Supper, the last night of Jesus' life, they were celebrating Passover. This is 50 days after the last night of Jesus' life. So all the believers are gathered together in one place when suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. If anybody knows the sound of a mighty windstorm, we in South Florida do, okay, <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about? I was thinking about it because you start to get all the hurricanes mixed up, but I'm pretty sure it was Hurricane Wilma, okay? It was 2005, I think. And if you remember Hurricane Wilma, if you were here, it was supposed to hit Naples as a Category 3, come across the state, die down to a tropical storm when it hit us. Knowing that, I was like, oh, I'm not going to put up hurricane shutters for a tropical storm. That would be a waste of my time. You remember what happened? It hit Naples as a Category 3, came across, and then hit us as a Category 3. And it w I remember it was like 8 in the morning, okay, and I was sitting on my couch with no shutters, a cat, okay, just waiting for the house to like explode. And I just remember it sounding like a freight train was going past my window. That is the sound that Luke is describing. Okay, remember, it's a, he's not talking about actual wind. They didn't feel any wind. 
the, the curtains didn't move at all in that room. All they heard was the deafening roar of what could be called a, a, a mighty windstorm. So these believers heard something, right? Next, they saw something. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and, and settled on each of them. Notice it says it, it looked like, okay? Was it fire? I don't know, right? But it, but it sure looked like it was fire. And what we do know is that all throughout the Old Testament, when God would show up, often he would show up in the form of fire. He showed up to Moses as the burning bush. He led the Israelites through the desert as a pillar of fire. And now he is resting on the heads of these Christians in what looks like flames or tongues of fire. So they heard something and they saw something. Then they said something. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Luke then goes on to describe the various languages that these folks were speaking. And it's over 15 different languages from all around the, the globe. Like effectively, they're speaking every known language. So all of this commotion, all the wind and the noise and, and, and the speaking in, in foreign tongues draws the attention of onlookers. And these Jews who came to Jerusalem from all over the world they show up to see what's going on, and it says that they were completely amazed. I bet they were, okay? How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. Now, what you don't know is that's kind of like a, a dig. That's like saying these are a bunch of hicks, okay? And yet, we hear them speaking in our native language about the wonderful things God has done. Okay, let's pause the story for a moment. The Holy Spirit has now officially arrived on the scene. He is here. And his opening act, so to speak, is to give these Christians the ability to speak in foreign languages. Now, historically speaking, this was a one-time, non-repeatable movement of the Spirit. That is what the Holy Spirit did in the lives of these believers. The question that I want to talk about today is, okay, well, what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? How, do, how does the Holy Spirit empower us. If he gave those Christians the ability to speak in foreign languages so that people from other countries could hear about Jesus and all the things God is doing, what abilities does he give to us as modern day Christians? I'm going to show you three things the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Now, he does myriad things, more than I could ever list out. I'm just going to do three. I've only got time for today. Then we're going to come back to this story, and I'm going to show you how the Holy Spirit moved in Peter's life on this occasion. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does, is he will give you the power when you are weak. And I'll just say this, I am personally thankful for this one. Last week we talked about the importance of acknowledging one's weakness, and I am not afraid to admit that I am a weak man, okay? I am in desperate need of God's help in my life, and I've got to imagine that many of you are as well. So thankfully, he sent his spirit to do just that. Paul says this, Romans, is it down again? I can't... I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life right now. I mean, honestly, I just, I can't even live anymore. If I get out of this series in one piece, it is going to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's pull it up here. Stand by, kids, would you please? What was I talking about? I literally don't even remember. Okay, here we go. Holy Spirit will give you the power when we are weak. Let's go one more. All right, this is it. Let's start here. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. I've just lost my momentum now. Okay, we all have weaknesses. You're seeing mine right now. All of our weaknesses are different, okay? 
And the good news is the Holy Spirit is here to help us. Paul gives us one example uh, of, of how the Holy Spirit helps us. He says this. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Let me ask you this. How many times, and maybe you've never had this experience, but I have, how many times have you been in a situation where you don't even know you don't even know what to pray for. You know, you got some decision in your life and it's like, there just seems like there's no win, you know? Maybe it has to do with a job or a family situation and you are just, you're just lost. And you go to God because it's the only thing you know how to do. You go to God, but you don't even know what to ask for, right? You don't even, you don't even know where to start. You're just so overwhelmed by what's in front of you. And, and, like, like the only words that you can sort of muster are like, Lord, please help me, right? It is in that moment of weakness that the Holy Spirit takes over. And, and he's like, John, I got this. I'll, I'll take it from here. I got it, right? Because the Holy Spirit, according to Paul, knows your situation. He knows exactly what you ought to be praying for. And he speaks to the Father in groans that can't be expressed into human words. It is literally God inside of you praying to God the Father on your back. That's incredible. It's incredible. That's just one example. But Paul is very clear. Wherever you are weak, the Holy Spirit can be strong. So maybe you're a parent in the room. I know we got a lot of parents. And you're thinking, you got a situation at home, and it's like, I don't know what to, I don't know, I don't know what to do with my child. I mean, I am struggling here. The Holy Spirit can give you wisdom. Ask him. Maybe you got a big presentation at work and you're panicked, right? You're afraid your screen's gonna fall apart like mine, right? And it's like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a terrible public speaker. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna choke. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you peace. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to give you the ability to, to speak articulately. That is why he is there. That is why he's in your life. Maybe for you, it's a sin in your life. You've got this ongoing issue in your life that you just, you're constantly battling with. You can't seem to overcome it. Ask the Spirit to give you the power of self-control. Call on Him. That is why He is there, right? We all have our weaknesses. God says this about our weaknesses. He says, my power works best in weakness. I love that. When you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters your heart and will give you the power wherever you are weak. Second thing, Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit will give you the power to have hope. This is a big one, all right? Paul says this in Romans 8. He says, may the God of hope, I just love that phrase, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if I'm honest with you, right, which means I've been lying the last 20 minutes, but I'm honest with you now, based on the footage that I have seen not, <laughs> not many people are living lives that what I would call are overflowing with hope, right? Like a lot of us struggle in the hope department. We're not overflowing with hope. Rather, we often have very kind of like limited hope. Why? Why do we have limited hope? It's hard to say exactly, but what I will say is this. If we put our hope in anything but God, our hope will be limited, right? If, if, if you put your hope in yourself, you're going to have limited hope. If we put our hope in other people, our hope is going to be limited. 
right? If we put our hope in our circumstances, those circumstances are only going to take you so far. That is why, according to Paul, if you want hope, it overflows. If you want limitless hope, shall we say, then you must put your hope in an unlimited God. And so if you're here today, all right, and you're hurting, and I know a lot of you are, if you're afraid, put your hope in God and let him overflow in your life with joy and peace. If you lost your job, I know some of us have, put your hope in God and trust that he will be your provider. If someone you love is sick, put your hope in God and let the Holy Spirit be your healer. If you are worried about tomorrow, put your hope in God and let the Holy Spirit be your comforter. Let me read this to you again because I think it's just so wonderful. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're hurting today, and like I said, I know a lot of you are, I pray that this verse becomes so real to you in your life that even though you may not see anything happening right now, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, your life would overflow with hope. That you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is working on your behalf. That he is working all things, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He is working all things together for your future good. That's a promise that scripture gives us. So Holy Spirit gives us power when we are weak. Holy Spirit gives us hope when we are hopeless. And most importantly, the Holy Spirit will give you power to share Christ boldly. Let me bring this all back to our main man, Peter, and the story of today. So if you remember, it is Pentecost. Holy Spirit has finally arrived on the scene. His first uh, act was to enable those Christians to speak in foreign languages. Now, the Jews that were in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, they are watching this spectacle take place, and it was a spectacle, and they say this, we hear all these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. Whoa, whoa, okay. This is the moment, okay? The, the, Jesus has now ascended into heaven. He's gone. The disciples, they're now the ones leading the show, so to speak. Holy Spirit has arrived. Jesus said, hey, boys, when the Holy Spirit gets here, you will be able to tell the world about me. And now this crowd is asking, what can this mean? What is happening? What are we watching? Luke tells us this. He says, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other disciples. Now, in Greek, this word or phrase, step forward, actually was more like being put forward. Okay, so what Luke is telling us is that these disciples apparently kind of looked at each other and they agreed that Peter was the man for the job. And before I show you what Peter said, remember this. 50 days ago, he denied knowing Jesus. Not once, not twice, not three times. My man crumbled when a little girl confronted him. But now, with the new power of the Holy Spirit in his life, he is about to deliver what theologians now call the very first Christian sermon. And he's going to deliver it to thousands of people. And so he begins. Jewish men, listen to what I have to say. You knew Jesus of the town of Nazareth. By the powerful works he did, God worked through Jesus while he was with you 
and you all know this, right? In other words, don't pretend like you don't know who I'm talking about. You guys know Jesus. You saw him. You met him. You saw his miracles. I saw you at the Sermon on the Mount. You, know, you were there. You know exactly who I'm talking about, and that man was sent to you by God. He continues. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. Whoa! That is not the Peter we saw last week. 50 days ago, my man was a mess, okay? Today, he is looking into a sea of thousands of people and saying to them, you killed him. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Therefore, before I show you what he says next, understand that what Peter is about to say can get him killed. Right? He may be speaking to fellow Jews, but he is not amongst friends. In this crowd are the very people who killed Jesus. And so in this moment, I picture Peter digging down deep, calling on this newfound power of the Holy Spirit, which was given to us so that we could boldly proclaim Christ. And with that power, he says this, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And the crowd goes silent. And Peter is just standing there. shaking with adrenaline, wondering what's going to happen now. <laughs> because now this crowd's got a decision to make. Do we stone him? Do we crucify him like we did his leader? Or do we laugh and just walk away? Watch this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. To use words we might be more familiar with, they were convicted. I mean, in spite of everything that they had said or done in the preceding weeks, these Jews knew. They knew, they knew, they knew that what Peter was saying was true. And so they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, I love that, what shall we do? This right here is the single most important question that they will ever ask in their entire lives. Peter, you're right. We were, we were wrong about Jesus. What shall we do? Peter replies, repent. Change, your, change the way that you live and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Wow, what a transformation. Luke tells us that those who believed what he said were baptized and there were about 3,000 more followers added that day. And the church began. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're a Christian in this room, and I know many of you are, I'm just telling you, that same spirit lives inside you right now. I'm not saying that God is going to ask you to preach in front of 3,000 people. What I am saying is that there is going to come a time when God will put someone on your path who needs to hear about Jesus. Someone who's asking, what does all this mean? 
And maybe he's already done that. Maybe you know exactly who I'm talking about. And in that moment, when that happens, you're going to feel a prompting in your spirit like, hey, it's go time. This is what it's about. This is your opportunity. And if you're like me, every fiber of your being is going to be saying, I don't know what to say, <laughs> right? I, don't, I told you were a Christian. Yeah, yeah, but I, I've, I'm not a, a scholar. I'm not a, a preacher. I, I barely know the Bible, right? I, that's fear talking. That's fear talking. In a millisecond, just between you and the Lord and the Holy Spirit, pause. Steady yourself. Spirit, give me the words to say. God, help me. And I'm just telling you, because I've seen it for myself, it's like something takes over and you'll be sharing your faith and you'll be quoting scripture. Later on, you'll be like, is that even in the Bible? It's in the Bible. <laughs> and if it's not, eh. no, it's in the Bible. That's the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? Or maybe you're with someone, and maybe this has happened to you. You're with them and, and, and you know, you're hearing their story and you feel the spirit inside of you. You feel God prompting you to pray for that person. You ever feel that one? And you think, oh, I am not a good prayer. That, okay. What did Paul tell us today about prayer? Holy Spirit will help you. Next thing you know, you're praying. And it's just a powerful moment. Listen, yes, the Holy Spirit came to give you power where you're weak. And yes, he came to give you hope where you might be hopeless, but the ultimate reason that the Holy Spirit came into this world and into your life is to empower you, to go into the world, to go into your little world, and to speak to others about Jesus. So trust in God, lean on his spirit, and he will give you, I promise you, he will give you extraordinary opportunities. So what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, Every single week, we throw this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So I'll just say this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is absolutely one of the least understood aspects of Christianity. But it's one of the most important. And Scripture is very clear. When you say yes to Jesus, when you give your heart to the Lord, in an instant... You are made right with God. You are forgiven. You are a new person. And in an instant, in that moment, the Spirit of God enters your life. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from that grave, the same Spirit that inspired the writing of the Bible, the same Spirit that was involved in the creation of the world resides inside the heart of every single Christian. But the big question that we all have to wrestle with is this. Have I, have you, surrendered to the Holy Spirit? You ever meet another Christian that just seems to have more spiritual power than you do? Okay. I'll just tell you this. It's not them. The, the reason that they have more power than you do is because they have surrendered more of their life to the power of the Spirit. And the more access we give to the Spirit, the more we lean on the Spirit, the more of His power is unleashed in our lives. And so what I have been doing all week, and I would encourage you all to do the same, is to ask God to show you specific ways to begin living a more Spirit-filled life. Are there areas in your life 
that, quite frankly, you're just trying to go at it in your own strength. And you're just completely neglecting the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you need to invite him into your marriage? Do you need to invite him into your family or your career? Do you need wisdom? Do you need love or joy or peace or patience or kindness? Do you need to be more generous? Do you need to be more faithful? Or do you need self-control? Ask the Holy Spirit to move in you and to empower you to be more like Christ, to live a more spirit-filled life, and you watch the extraordinary things that will happen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, as Christians, we focus so much of our attention on you and on Jesus, Lord, and we are so grateful for what he did on that cross for us. But there is an unforgotten God, there's a forgotten God, this Holy Spirit that I think so many of us are, are, are neglectful of. That we don't realize the power that you have put inside each and every single one of us, God. And I pray that today you would make us more aware. You would prompt us to lean into the Holy Spirit, to invite him into all aspects of our lives, to give us power where we are weak, hope where we are hopeless, Lord. To let us be more aware of those on our path who need to hear about our story when it comes to Jesus. And Lord, we will give you all the glory. We ask this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name.